This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to an exclusive podcast of The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett. Heard every Sunday night from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. on Zoomer Radio, the new AM740. Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zuma Radio, AM 740. And welcome to the Audio Imaginarium. Come on in, weary traveler. Hang your cloak on a peg. Grab a stool and come gather around the fire. There are stories to be told and you are among friends. How are you? Hope my American listeners are enjoying a wonderful Memorial Day long weekend. This is the weekend, of course, our friends to the South mourn and honor the U.S. servicemen and women who died while serving. Carlos Kajina is my technical producer. Ryan White is the live stream producer. And yes, we are live streaming this radio program on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. Carlos and Ryan, thank you for your service. Now, coming up in hour two, Benjamin Baruch will be here to discuss a prophecy in the book of Jeremiah that appears to be describing America and the deep state. We'll discuss Mystery Babylon when Benjamin drops by in one hour. Before we get rolling here, I want to give a quick shout out to two of my fine Patreon supporters, Kirk Shamel and Denny Bladell, who are in the Star Chamber tier. Kirk and Denny, thank you both. Uh, your continued support, especially during these difficult times, is so greatly appreciated. I am so thankful and honored and humbled uh, by your support. It really means so much. Kirk and Denny, thank you again. Uh, I also want to welcome a new Patreon supporter in the Truth Seeker tier, Don Thomas of DeKalb, Illinois. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly, DeKalb. I'm going to send you, uh, Don, a Strange Planet mug from my Strange Planet shop. And if you'd like to become an official donor, please visit patreon.com slash strangeplanet. Patreon.com slash strangeplanet and pick the donor tier that's right for you and thank you in advance. Now, some economists are saying, forget recession. We are already in the midst of a great depression. We're about to find out what my guest in hour one has to say about that. If we're in a depression, how long will it last? Will it be like the Great Depression of 29, which lasted for 10 years? How do we 
we recover? Will we recover? Uh, What kind of recovery will it be? What needs to be done in order to ensure a fast recovery? Will the world ever be the same? Joseph E. Meyer is president of Meyer and Associates, Mayor and Associates, my apologies, and uh, is editor of the macroeconomic and financial newsletter, Straight Money Analysis. Joe began his investing career in 1966 as a public investor and has been part of the equity markets for over 50 years. Mr. Mayor has appeared on Coast to Coast AM, ABC, NBC, and CBS News, and has been quoted in Foreign Policy Magazine and Forbes. Mr. Mayor is also a securities law expert, witness and arbitrator, mediator with the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority. FNRA, FINRA, is the largest independent regula- regulator of security securities firms doing business in the United States. Joseph Mayer, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Good evening, Richard. Thank you for having me as a guest this evening. It's a pleasure to visit with you and your listening audience. Thank you, Richard. My pleasure. Uh, you're down in Florida, I believe? Yes, I am. Things are starting to open up down there. How would you? Very slowly, how would you, but we are reopening. Yeah. Thank God. Yes. So, uh, right out of the shoot, let me ask you: Are you using the R word, or are you prepared to use the D word? Recession or depression? What are we looking at here? Well, I think at this point, there's no doubt we're in recession. I think if we get a second wave of COVID-19 during the summer or in the early fall months, we could enter a pretty nasty and prolonged depression, yes. Is it even possible to forecast something like this at this point? Because there are so many unknown quantities uh, about the coronavirus. Can you forecast well, we have to use history as a guide. As you know, two of the worst recessions we've had since the end of World War II were 1973, 4, 81, 82. They both lasted about 16 months. But on average, since World War II, all the recessions have averaged only about nine months. But I do believe we're in the early stages of a very pronounced recession at a last at a minimum of a year, Richard. All right. So it seems to me that you know this is a little different than than other recessions because yes, it is. I I might be mistaken, but there 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 at least with the United States economy, yes, there was a tremendous debt, but structurally the economy was very healthy. And and more or less up here in Canada too. So it's almost like we be, we were placed in a self-induced coma. Um, so is it is it different in that sense, or like when we let's say the coronavirus the the, the lockdown ends in two months, and let's say the second wave is mild. Yes. Will this will this cause has this caused structural damage? so that the self-induced coma patient won't just simply wake up on cue, that it'll be a prolonged recovery? Well, I think to answer your question, we got to touch upon two elements. Number one is the tremendous buildup of debt through the economy and all sectors of it. 
And secondly, the liquidity and the solvency of the people who are participating in it. Okay, so are you referring specifically to the debt that's been accumulated since the lockdown? In other words, um, all of this uh, money that's been pumped into the system, uh, checks being written, uh, wage subsidies and these sorts of things? Yes, I am. Okay, so let's address that. Um, I mean, is it going to be possible, of course, after the 2008 crisis, we had uh, nearly a trillion dollars that the Fed, through quantitative easing, pumped into the system. Yes. Is that going to have, would that have any effect at this point? Well, I think when you take a look at the degree of indebtedness and you take a look at the devastation this uh, lockdown has done in such a short period of time, we've got small businesses attempting to reopen out of fighting to pay their bills. This is a much different time, Richard. No, no two ways about it. Right. So let's, again, let's assume that the second wave, if it comes, is manageable. Uh, and that we are prepared to, to reopen, let's say, sometime later this summer. Okay. Uh, and, and of course, you know, businesses will, will have protocols. They'll try to mitigate risk so that there isn't a second wave. Um, but how do you see uh, a recovery? People talk about, uh, I think they use the term, a, geo, uh, a geometric shock. So, for example, they talk about a U-curve, which is, uh, you know, it, we have a, a, a kind of a collapse and then a U-shaped recovery. Or we have a very a, a swift recovery, so more of a V-shape. Uh, so, for example, in 2008, the United States, after the, the banking crisis, in the U.S., you had kind of a U-shaped recovery. Yes, Here in we Canada, did. we... we we, we didn't have a banking crisis in Canada. We had more of a V-shape. And then you look at poor Greece, which has had kind of an L-shaped recovery uh, yes. since 2008. So which of those, those three do you see uh, as kind of the pattern for the recovery coming out of this? Well, I think what we're talking about is very unique from a financial standpoint. And even though I'm optimistic in the long term that we will recover and turn the corner, I'm not convinced that we do it as quickly as a lot of people would want to believe. So I'm going on the premise so I know differently that the recovery will be L-shaped, Richard. That's what I believe at this point will take place. An L-shape. Right. And... There'll be, will there be sectors of the economy that simply will never recover? So let's say, for example, uh, the cruise industry. Is that ever coming back? Well, I think it's highly questionable at this point. I think you could also throw in the airlines as well. I think we're going to have some bankruptcy filings by some of the major carriers. I just don't think they have enough staying power to ride this through. I really don't. So a lot of the smaller regional airlines yes. not coming back. So they'll be, as as is always the case then, 
the, the the bigger carriers or the bigger institutions will swallow up the little ones. Is that what you see happening? They will pick up additional market share. That's what they always do. We'll be no different this time. What about hotels, restaurants? Another tough industry. I think we'll see bankruptcy filings in that sector of the economy as well. I don't think travel's going to come back anywhere near as quickly as a lot of people would want to believe. I truly don't. I think a lot of jobs that have been lost through this pandemic, quite honestly, Richard, are never coming back. That's the reality I think a lot of people at this point are unable to face. I truly do. Um, Talk to me about some other sectors of the economy that you think will be severely impacted. Well, I think the auto industry will be severely impacted. I don't think there'll be a market for these cars the way there were prior. I think you got a lot of people that are going to be put out and not rehired and furloughed that are going to have to go into a completely different vocation. They're going to have to have training and they're going to have to have schooling. And it's going to be a very slow process to make a place for them in the new economy that's going to come out of this. So people talk about the new normal and the new economy. Uh, and, and some have suggested that, that there's that old saying, uh, Milton Friedman said that uh, real change only comes about through a crisis, whether it's either real or imagined. Very and will We'll assume that this is a real crisis, although there may be aspects of it that have been uh, manipulated for certain groups' in advantages. Uh, but that some have suggested that this was or is being used, this crisis is being used um, to transition into a new economy. Yeah. Uh, so for so. What is this new economy we hear we're hearing about? We hear about artificial intelligence and robotics uh, and and moving completely out of the industrial age into a new phase. You what is the new economy? The components. You did a very good job. That's exactly <laughs> what it is. So robotics, artificial yes. intelligence. Automation. So that, that is going to be even, well, was that going to happen even without the coronavirus? Or I think has it that. Was. Right. But I think the timing of it's been moved up significantly because of COVID 19. That's going to cause a huge disruption. Yes, so, for example, uh, if we're talking about self driving vehicles, Something like one in every five jobs, I think, in the United States is dependent on truck drivers. Yes. So why are we rushing headlong into automation, robotics, uh, given that the the economy has, has been dealt a very, very serious blow? Wouldn't it be better to put the brakes on automation and robotics and get you people back to work? So. I think the reason is simply the global economy is shrinking, the world is becoming smaller, and we simply don't have the need for the capacity that we once did. 
I think you got to put in perspective. These are unprecedented times, and financially and economically, we're simply in uncharted waters, Richard. Hmm. So, truck drivers, uh, as I say, one in five jobs. That's twenty percent. We're already looking at what's the what's the official unemployment rate now in the United States? It's, it's almost seven, but I don't believe it for a minute. I think it's over thirty percent. Over thirty percent. Yeah, my word. At the height of the Great Depression, nineteen thirty-three, we had unemployment twenty-four point seven. I think we're not counting a lot of people who who are now dropped out of the workforce and no longer are being considered unemployed. But as you know, we recently had 36 million people file for unemployment. That's almost 20% of the eligible workforce in America. Do you know that? That's absolutely uh, frightening, quite frankly. Yes. So... Even with a recovery, and you mentioned again that this would be an L-shaped recovery. I think so. Think so. how long, how long it took Greece, uh, and Greece has well hadn't even turned the corner, and then they were dealt this blow. Yes. Uh, so, when we when we complete our recovery, are we ever going back to the kind of near full employment that we had uh, before coronavirus? No, I don't think we'll ever have full employment again. It's one man's opinion, but that's what I think, Richard. So this is perhaps why people, even before the coronavirus, before the lockdown, uh, we had a uh, Democratic candidate, um, Andrew Yang, talking about the need for uh, a guaranteed income. Yes, that's now obviously going to be talked about a lot more. What what are your what are your thoughts on a guaranteed income? Well, I think we continue to see poverty as being a major problem in the U.S. As you know, we've got an increase in homelessness all around the country. I think due to coronavirus, we could see a forty percent increase in the homelessness in America in the next year. And I just think economically and financially, this is a different time, and we're living in a much different world. I think that's why you need a game plan to survive the changes that are ahead of us, and they're going to be great, and they're going to be many. Life is not going to go back to the way it was before. I don't think it's possible. That's, again, one man's opinion, but I don't think it's likely, Richard. So... Then your thoughts on a guaranteed uh, income. Are you in favor? Well, I think at this point, when you look at what's ahead of us and you look at what's been behind us, I don't think we have much of a choice. How would we pay for that? Good question. Well, we got to tax the rich and make them pay for it. Tax the rich. You know, the recent uh, tax cuts that went in force over a year ago. Yes. The 1%, the richest 1% of all Americans benefited by getting 67% of the benefits of the tax cut. So the tax cut didn't really help middle class America. It didn't help the working class American. 
it helped the extremely wealthy. Well, no one could argue that that's that, that's a fact and that's reality. Well, but, but the largest the largest income gains were among uh, blue collars. Uh, I've read anyway that uh, they were making uh, greater gains than they had than they had in decades. Is that not true? Well, when you look at wages adjusted for inflation prior to the period you're speaking of, wages adjusted for inflation have been flat since 1965. Right, right. But up until recently, um, yes. I, I'm just I'm just saying that as a result of that tax cut, yes, of course, the rich are always, uh, you know, seem to be doing better, but. Uh, did that not pay off in terms of job creation? Did, you know, these corporations, these businesses that received these tax cuts, and they also lowered the the uh, the business tax. That resulted in large in large uh, job gains by and large. So I'm just wondering uh, if if we if we ratchet up the taxes on corporations again, uh, won't that even even have a greater negative impact on things like job creation. Well, I don't think there's any doubt that's exactly what would happen. We've got to give corporate America an incentive to put people back to work. There's no way around it. This unemployment is just ridiculous. Right, right. But so I then think my... when you talk about the number of businesses that are going to reopen I think there's an awful lot of them that are not even going to reopen. Right. Well, then that that comes around to the question. I'll I'll save this for after the break. But again, it's uh, the old is the cure worse than the disease? We'll discuss that on the other side. Okay. Joseph Mayer, my guest from well, the newsletter is Straight Money Analysis, and we'll tell you how to subscribe to that as well. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. My name is Richard Serrett. Stay with us. The truth is not out there. It's right here. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Joseph Mayer is my guest, and we are talking about uh, the economy in the age of coronavirus. Joseph is president of Mayer and Associates, editor of the macroeconomic financial newsletter, Straight Money Analysis. Uh, before we proceed further, Joseph, how do we subscribe to Straight Money Analysis? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, click on newsletter. There's a full sample issue of the newsletter, Richard, on the website. You can download and read. One year subscription two fifty nine ninety five six month subscription one forty nine ninety five. I write in every issue quarterly about the stock and bond market, both gold and silver, oil and natural gas, and I have a very lengthy commentary in every issue on Fed monetary policy. I write about the things you need to know, why you need to know them, and what you can and should be doing about them. That's what makes this newsletter very unique. I'm writing the newsletter now, Richard, 11 years. Straightmoneyanalysis.com, and then yes. go to newsletter. All right. Uh, before the break, I was asking about the, that old saw, the cure being worse than the disease, and I've been saying this for some time. I was actually writing members of my... Uh, provincial government here at the end of March uh, suggesting that 
alongside getting advice from public health officials, they needed to form an economic task force to figure out what the exit strategy strategy is, how they can open up uh, businesses very quickly. Now, of course, we're into almost June. And um, so at this point, I just feel that the cure really has been worse than the disease, not only the 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 hit that the small business people have taken, uh, but also from a health perspective, um, you know, every I'm not sure what the figure is, but w- every uptick in unemployment uh, causes a surge in in suicides. Yeah. Uh, so at, so would you would you say at this point that the cure has now become worse than the disease? Well, I think we've got to put this crisis in perspective. We've got three things going on here, Richard. You've got an ongoing health crisis, you've got an ongoing economic crisis, and an ongoing deteriorating financial crisis. We have never faced a calamity of these three things at any time prior in history. That's what makes this period so unique and so very dangerous. That's why, as I've said many times, you've got to have a plan, a contingency plan, to deal with the uncertainties that I think inevitably are going to come out of this. You can't just sit back and think things are going to go back to the way they were before, because I'm telling you, I don't think that, that that's reality. I truly don't. Well, because now we have... It's, it's kind of a triple whammy, isn't it? Not yes. only do we have the typical uh, da- damage to the, the economy's supply side, you also have tremendous uh, damage the to the demand side. side. Demand may never come back to the way it was before. No one talks in terms of that. They all talk about bringing on line of supply. But I don't think people are going to be spending the way they were prior. I truly don't. I think this has shocked the psyche of a lot of people, and I think they're going to spend money very carefully and very prudently and only buy what's absolutely necessary. So aside from the, the supply and the demand side, and that's, that's bad enough, but then you have, what about the liquidity? What about the capital markets? Well, I think that's the wild card. That's why the Fed and the major central banks of the world are pumping trillions of dollars into the system. You've got six central banks in the world that are pumping money to try to keep the global economy from sinking into a depression. you got the U.S. Fed, the European Central Bank, the Bank of Japan, People's Bank of China, the German Bundesbank and the Swiss National Bank. They're all providing unprecedented massive liquidity in unison to prevent this economy from a total collapse. That's what's actually going on. That's why you got to own gold and silver. U.S. equity market put in, I think, a once-in-a-lifetime top which, as you know, took place in February of this year. But bull markets, Richard, they follow four phases. They're born on pessimism, they grow on skepticism, they mature on optimism, and then they die on euphoria. I think this bear market at best is only half over. 
I think we're going to see much lower prices as we get into the summer months and the fall. I think this market could go down a minimum another 10,000 points. Wow, 10,000. Yes. So, so uh, that old Two saying... I would look at for the bear market to reach before it's over. I think the first so, stop would be the 2007 high in the Dow, 14,100. And if we didn't stop the bear market there, we'd go down to the 2000 high in the Dow, 11,780. But I also have a long-term target in the S&P 500, 1565, Richard. How long is it going to take to bottom out, do you think? 18 months to two years. Wow. Was that old saying, when people get fearful, it's time to get greedy? Yes. So, so the time to buy in the markets will be, if anyone has any, any uh, liquidity to do so, the time to buy would be in 18 months to two years. Is that right? Pessimism is the best time to buy, and the time of maximum optimism is the best time to sell. Right. Except how do we, I mean, the rules have changed, though. I mean, you, you know, it used to say, you, you know, you buy Coca-Cola, you buy Southwest Airlines. I mean, these are things that Warren Buffett used to buy. Those things may not be around as hard as that is to imagine coming out of this. Very true. I think so you what, want to own five asset classes. You want to have some cash. You want to have some cryptocurrency. You want to have some gold and silver, and you want to own the precious metal mining shares. Those are the areas I think that'll do well, regardless of what takes place in the economy and these markets as we move forward. But I question as we move forward if the Fed and all these other central banks of the world can continue to pump this fiat currency into the system. So is this the end of the Bretton Woods system? I believe it is. Could you just maybe spend a few moments talking about this sure. financial financial order that was created at the end of the Second World War known as the Bretton Woods Agreement? What it was and what, what it means and, and, and what's next? Well, the British pound was a world reserve currency up until Bretton Woods in 1944 when the Allies decided that the U.S. dollar would be a world reserve currency. We were on the gold standard, as you know, from 1944 to 1971, 27 years, and we've now been off the gold standard 49. So our currency is backed by the general faith and credit standing of the United States government. Even though we portend to hold 8,300 tons of gold in Fort Knox. But interesting enough, China is, is, as you know, the largest gold producer, having surpassed South Africa many years ago. I believe they're holding in excess of 30,000 tons of gold. And at some point, they'll back the one by gold and have a world reserve currency. That's what I think is inevitable, and that's what I think is ahead of us. So the new reserve currency of the world will be the yuan? 
I believe it'll be one of them unless we go on a gold standard as well, which I don't rule out at this point. I think it's a distinct possibility. But I also think we've got a global reset underway in all asset classes that are going to be pegged inevitably to the price of gold at some point. I think that's going on simultaneously with COVID-19 behind the scenes. What do you see uh, as the price of gold going, uh, let's say, the next 18 months, two years? How high could it go? It's it's around, uh, let me see, uh, 1700 1700 Yeah, 1735 How high will it go? I think it can go to five, $6,000 an ounce. My word. And what about silver? Silver, I think, can go to two fifty. Very, very what is it? long term undervalued. But two hundred and fifty. Talk about gold, as you know. In the nineteen seventies, it took nine years for gold to go from thirty-five to eight fifty which was a multiple of 24 times, 255, 255 an ounce times 24, you get 61.20. But gold, $35 an ounce, reached the price level of 850 through the 1970s. So if we take 255 times 24, we get 61.20, Richard. That's if this bull market is comparable to what we witnessed in the 1970s, but I think it's a much different time. I truly do. Oh, now, silver has industrial applications. In fact, it was it was projected that silver would go through the roof because of the production of uh, solar solar panels and so forth. Uh, but if the industrial capacity or the industrial production goes way way down. Uh, won't that take the price of silver with it? No, because I think as a monetary metal, it's still very, very undervalued and in scarce supply. Right. If you can't own physical f- uh, gold and silver, and my understanding is it's hard to get your hands on physical right silver these days. Yes. Uh, what about owning shares in gold and silver and other precious metal mining companies? Absolutely, but you want to own the highest quality market leadership companies in the sector. Always buy the quality, buy the leadership, Richard. You never can go wrong. All right, uh, Joseph, we'll take another time out, come back. We'll also open up the phone lines, questions and comments. 416-360-0740, 416-360-0740. Toll free from out of town and just about anywhere. 1-866-740-4740. Keeping an eye on the new world order. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To speak with Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. We are here with Joseph E. Mayer, President of Mayer and Associates, Editor of the Macroeconomic and Financial Newsletter, Straight Money Analysis. 
And uh, Joseph, once again, how do people subscribe to Straight Money Analysis? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, Richard. Click on newsletter. Got a full issue of the newsletter they can download and read for free. One year subscription, two fifty nine ninety five. Six month subscription, one forty nine ninety five. All right. You were telling, uh, we were talking about precious metals. You said yes. gold could go 5,500, 6,000 in an ounce. Silver could go to $250 uh, an ounce U.S. Let's talk a little bit about energy, oil and gas. Uh, is yes. that ever coming back? Well, I think it'll eventually come back, but I think it'll be a very slow process. I think this is too much oil in the world right now, and the demand for energy is down. But there's no question the world runs on oil, and that's not going to change anytime too soon. I agree. I agree. How does a barrel? How does the price of a barrel of oil go into negative numbers? For a while there, it was below zero. How is that? How is that possible? Well, simply because of the supply-demand factor, and there's no more room in which to store oil. So oil becomes a negative-valued asset class. There's 280 million barrels of oil on oil tankers that are sailing around the world looking for a place to deposit their oil. That's how much excess capacity we currently have, Richard. And that's with Saudi Arabia cutting production recently by a million barrels a day. They got into a war with Russia, and Russia's cut back oil production as well. So I think at some point the glut will be used up, but it's going to take a considerable time period to do that. Any projections on how long it would take the price of oil to get back up to, let's say, $50? Well, you know, if you go back and you study history on the price of oil, we've had the price of oil double six times within two years. So I think there's a possibility in the next two years we could see a doubling of oil prices. I think it's a possibility as the economy recovers, hopefully. What about the ripple effect uh, and into society? So, for example, if we have... Um, supply supply chain issues uh let's say with with uh, certain staples uh like like meat yes. uh certain certain grocery items uh, uh coupled with massive unemployment uh do you foresee and i this is maybe not your area of of uh your purview but are you concerned about a complete societal collapse or breakdown, even civil war? Well, I think our lives have changed in four different ways. I think they've changed socially, politically, economically, and finally financially. And I think those changes are being felt now by the average American, and I think changes are forthcoming and they're going to be very difficult to accept by by the masses but I think it's inevitable all right but again to my question what about do you do you personally are you concerned about a, a complete breakdown in 
in society. Water. Yes. Well, I think we're already seeing the early phases of that with the protests against these lockdowns in various states. I think that could definitely be a precursor to what will follow, absolutely. I think so, the population is very angry. I've said many times, I talk to my subscribers from all over the world, and I basically get three attitudes. I get either anger, apathy, or indifference, Richard. Hmm. What's the most dangerous of those three attitudes? Anger. Anger is even more dangerous than than uh, indifference? Yes. Because anger gets acted out on, and it gets acted out on when you least expect it. So what are you telling your, your subscribers? What, what should they be doing right now? Well, I think you want to prepare for some tough times ahead, and I think it's got to be a plan that's workable and feasible and individual. But I think we're definitely going to see major changes ahead. The question is not if they'll take place, but how quickly. And I think you need a plan to be able to adapt to the eventualities that are forthcoming and I think are going to have to be part of the daily lives that we live as we move forward. So you need a game plan, and I outline what that game plan will be in the various issues of the newsletter I write. All right, we're going to step away for one final time out when we come back. Maybe you can tease us a little bit on what uh, what that game plan might be. And uh, we'll also remind people how to get a subscription to Straight Money Analysis. Joseph Mayer, my guest, back with more on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. If you're sure your phone isn't tapped, call now. 416-360-0740. Or toll-free at 1-866-740-4740. Just a reminder, coming up at the top of the hour, Benjamin Baruch will be here to talk about Mystery Babylon. Right now, Joseph Mayer stays with us. The newsletter is Straight Money Analysis. One more time, Joseph, how do we subscribe? Go to the straightmoneyanalysis.com website, click on Newsletter. One year subscription two fifty nine ninety five six month subscription one forty nine ninety five Richard. All right, so just tease us uh, some of the things that we should be doing to prepare for whatever this new economy is going to look like. Well, I think at a minimum you need six months living expenses put away. Because I think through the times that are ahead of us and the uncertainty that will come out of it, you're going to need six months living expenses. That's the first thing. Second thing, if you don't own gold and silver, now's the time to buy it. You want to buy your coin first, then your bullion, and then lastly and very importantly, the quality leadership precious metal mining shares. All right. Now, as to number one, well, and to number two, you've seen the statistics. What It's something like 40, 50, I don't know, maybe even 60% of Americans have basically two weeks' uh, money put aside. That's it. 
How can they possibly get to six months if there's no time? No, there isn't. But but again, I think when you talk about society and the poverty that's gripped this nation, you got 40% of Americans that don't have $400 in the bank, Richard. Yeah, 40%. That's the figure. That's 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 frightening. So... Many of those people are going to be, what, out on the street? They're going to be joining the homeless on the sidewalks of America. That's where they're headed. Oh, dear. You can't count on your city and state government to bail it out. They're broke. They're looking for a bailout from the federal government. You got New York State looking for a bailout. They were bailed out, as you know, in 1975. Here we are 45 years later. They're broke again. What about the... Chicago uh, is another city that's busted. Yes, Chicago, L.A. Absolutely. They're looking for a federal bailout. How how much help do you think they're going to be able to give you if you're in trouble? I think very little. No. So, and this is... Really, even this is the best case scenario, right? That's assuming we we start to open up in the next couple of months. What Absolutely. happens? What happens if we stayed locked down till I don't know December, January of next year? Chaos will grip the country. That's for sure. Right. Uh, what about the Fed? Is I mean, are we going to see a, a whole restructuring of? Of the present system, could this be the end of the Federal Reserve? I think it could be the end of the banking system as we know it. I'll even go one step further. Mm. And what would that look like? Uh, I mean, without a Fed, without a central banking system, and we've talked a lot about the the evils of the federal banking or the uh, the central banking system. Yes. Um, I mean, do you think that could be one positive upside, this restructuring of the the banking system? I don't think anyone, honestly, Richard, has an answer to that question. You would think so, but it's not a certainty, that's for sure. All right. So is there any good news that you can leave us with uh, here, Joseph? Is there any upside um, to this as you see it coming out? I mean, you know, those of us that will uh, manage to land on our feet, uh, hopefully will become stronger and wiser. But what other, I don't know, silver lining do you see from all of this, if any? Well, I think the silver lining is we'll come back from this stronger than we were before. But I think inevitably we're going to pay a tremendous price in order to be able to do that. A lot of people are not going to be able to survive what I think is coming. But I do believe we're a very grateful nation, a God-fearing nation, and I think a nation that's very generous. And I think we will do what's ever necessary to take care of the people that fall through the cracks. I totally hope and believe that. Will the free market system survive? Are you still bullish on capitalism after this? I'm bullish on capitalism, but I think we got to purge the system of all this excess debt. There's no way it could ever be repaid. 
We're paying currently, as you know, over a trillion dollars in interest on the U.S. national debt. This cannot continue. This is an ending coming rather than a fresh beginning. Is it possible that this, in part, this crisis, uh, was seized upon by certain groups who realized it was time to hit the pause and reset the button and, and as you say, flush the system of all of this debt? Exactly. Uh, so you think that the that they used this crisis as an excuse to do this? Well, I think it was a very convenient reason in which to go ahead and do the things that have been done, yes. And by keeping us locked in our homes, not entirely locked in our homes, but keeping us quarantined, uh, do you think that this is also being used to um, to roll back permanently certain civil liberties and and does that con are you afraid of that well that's exactly what it's done so far i don't think anyone would question that that's exactly what's happened but so i'm talking about i do believe and hope it's only temporary but i'm not so sure it is right right have you I, ever how did we mayor republic let me share this with you 1923 yes. A one-ounce gold coin bought a whole city block in Frankfurt, Germany. Do you know that? One gold coin bought a city block in, in Frankfurt, well, that was Germany in 1923, the height of the Weimar Republic. Right, right. That's when we you needed a wheel. In Venezuela, a one-ounce silver eagle bought $250 worth of groceries. Their currency was worthless. My word. Do you think the United States, possibly Canada, is going to look like Venezuela before this is over? Let's hope not, Richard. <laughs> well, certainly we hope not, but um, is, that, is that a genuine concern? Is that realistic? It's a very real concern, and I think it's realistic. We're in uncharted waters. No one knows with certainty, based on history, where this can inevitably go. We can use history as a yardstick, but it's by no means a certainty as to what it tells us is a probability. There's a lot that can consistently go wrong before we come out of this crisis, that's for sure. I don't like, quite honestly, what's going on with China. Their militaristic attitude has me very concerned. Forget the trade issues we have between the two countries. Honestly, I don't think our relationship with China due to COVID-19 will ever be the way it was before anyway. I don't. No, well, maybe maybe it never should have been normalized. Yes. Maybe they never should have been allowed into the World Trade Organization. We thought we could reform them by bringing them into the world community, but that cer certainly didn't turn out to be true. Do you think there will be major retribution uh, towards China? And is this perhaps the end of globalism? I think it could very well be the end of globalism, and I think retribution is coming. I can't say in what form, but I think definitely we will see some form of retribution. 
I believe they had a obligation to notice the world of the outbreak of this virus, and they didn't do it. All right, uh, Joseph, it was a terrific meeting you. Uh, I want to thank you for spending the hour with us. Thank you, and, Richard. Uh, let's just remind people again, they can go to straightmoneyanalysis.com and click on newsletter, and uh, they can subscribe uh, to the newsletter. There's a sample there as well, so they can they can read yes, uh, an edition. Excellent. Joseph, thank you so much. Please be well, and uh, hopefully we'll talk again. Let's look forward to it. Thank you so much for having me, Richard. It was a pleasure. Thank you. My pleasure. Thank you, Joseph Mayer. All right, Benjamin Baruch is next. We'll talk about Mystery Babylon. And uh, he will reveal the identity of Mystery Babylon mentioned in chapters 17 and 18 in the book of Revelation. Back with more of The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Live from Toronto, Canada, Earth. The Conspiracy Show with Richard Sarrett on Zoomer Radio. Thanks for inviting me into your home. Long haul truck, RV, camper, taxi. Your parents' well-appointed rec room with the simulated wood paneling. Electric fireplace and the painting of dogs playing poker. Your loft. That greasy spoon just off the interstate and your cabin in the woods. A big howdy to all of you listening in on our flagship station, AM 740 and 96.7 FM, Zoomer Radio here in Toronto. Hello to each of you listening in on one of our affiliate stations across North America. And hi to those of you streaming this program online at zoomerradio.ca or on the Zoomer Radio app. And of course, those of you streaming and watching on my YouTube channel, Strange Planet. And last but not least, hello there to those assembled in the YouTube live chat. However and wherever you're listening, I bid thee the warmest of welcomes and I thank you for your fine company. It's perhaps the greatest prophetic mystery in the Bible. Revelation chapter 17 and 18 refer to a woman who was arrayed in purple and scarlet color and decked with gold and precious stones and pearls, having a golden cup in her hand, full of abominations and filthiness of her fornication. And upon her forehead was a name written, Mystery Babylon the Great, the mother of harlots and abominations of the earth. And I saw the woman drunken with the blood of the saints and with the blood of the martyrs of Jesus. And when I saw her, I wondered, with great admiration. Who or what does this Mystery Babylon refer to? And what is the fate of Mystery Babylon? Here to discuss is Benjamin Baruch. He's a professional financial advisor, author, and public speaker, also a chartered financial analyst and a certified public accountant, and acts as a financial advisor to some of the largest privately held real estate companies in America. Benjamin is the author of the best-selling book, the Day of the Lord is at Hand, which includes insights into today's major headlines, such as growing wars in the Middle East. He's recently released his second book, a seven-volume series entitled Search the Scriptures. Benjamin, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. How are you? Hey, I'm good. Great to be back. Thank you. 
My pleasure. Thanks for uh, coming on. So Revelation 17 and 18, I just can't, I kind of gave a, a snippet, uh, but just kind of fill in the blanks there. What is, what is uh, Revelation referring to uh, with, with Mystery Babylon, uh, this harlot? Well, Mystery Babylon is one of the archetypes, if you will, of Bible prophecy. And the, the identity of Mystery Babylon has challenged the scholars for the millennium. Now, we were first introduced to the kingdom of Babylon in the time of Daniel the prophet, when Nebuchadnezzar had come, had conquered much of the known world, including Israel, had taken Israel and Judah into captivity, and Babylon was the ruling superpower at that time. And uh, Daniel had become one of the counselors to the king, and the book of Daniel records really centerpiece prophecies regarding the ultimately the events at the end of the age that would herald the return of the Lord Jesus Christ. And, I, if you will, the central prophecy within the book of Daniel, or one of the central prophecies, is the dream of the king of Babylon. I believe it's recorded in Daniel chapter 2. And the king has this terrifying dream, and, he's, and he calls in all of the counselors, the magicians, the astrologers, and the Chaldeans. Mm-hmm. And, and the Chal- that word Chaldean really means professional sorcerer. So he calls in the sorcerers, and he asks them, you know, to interpret the dream, and they all say, sure, no problem, king. Tell us the dream, and we'll cook up an, a, an interpretation for you. And, of course, the king said, not so fast. You know, you could be lying. I want you to tell me my dream. Then I'll know the interpretation's real. And, of course, the king ultimately said, if you know you can't tell me the dream, then you're obviously not wise men, and so I'm going to order the execution of all the wise men in the land of Babylon. And Daniel being one of them, well, Daniel ultimately appears before the king and reveals the dream, and the dream is a great statue with a head of gold, uh, arms of silver, uh, sort of thighs of brass, and legs of iron. And, and feet of clay. And feet of clay, with ten toes, precisely. And that image is the image of Mystery Babylon. It's the first clue to the identity of Mystery Babylon. And when you look at a statue, Richard, you identify the statue by looking at the face. You know, if you go to Washington, D.C., and you look at the Lincoln Monument, you see Abe Lincoln's face, you realize that whole statue is Lincoln. Right. You never ask the question, whose toes are those? The whole identity being revealed is identified by the head. And so the statue of Mystery Babylon showed Babylon as the head of gold, Greece, media, or media, Persia, rather, as the silver kingdom, Greece under Alexander was the bronze, and the Roman Empire was the legs of iron. So here we have four empires that are all identified as one. They're all part of Mystery Babylon. And Mystery Babylon, as revealed in Revelation 17, is the beast on which the woman rides is actually the, the satanic kingdoms that have ruled the earth over human history. The, the seven 
heads are seven mountains and they are seven kings. And those mountains, the word in Greek is oros, it's the it means to be lifted up above the plane. It's the false religious systems of these Antichrist governments that have manifested in seven different identities. And going back over the, the history of the world, Egypt was part of Mystery Babylon. The Assyrian Empire, which followed the rule of Egypt, was part of Mystery Babylon. But they had passed into antiquity by the time Babylon itself was the ruling superpower, and the dream of the king only included the empires which would follow. And so Babylon was actually the third manifestation of mystery Babylon. Well, what is the mystery? It's not a geography question. Bible prophecy is not asking us to identify the geographic location of the ancient empire of Babylon, which is somewhere in southern Iraq. There's no mystery to the geography question. The mystery part of Mystery Babylon is the mystery religion of the deep state. It's the religion of the Chaldean state. And the Chaldeans actually encroached, they, they infiltrated into the ancient kingdom of Babylon, which was just another country, really. If you go back to the history of the, the known world, ancient Babylon was created in the, the time period of the book of Genesis, Babylon was conquered by Egypt, it was then conquered by the Syrian Empire, and it wasn't until the Chaldeans, who were the professional sorcerers, had actually usurped political power, installed one of their own as king over Babylon, that Satan lifted up the kingdom of Babylon as a world empire, and at that point it became mystery Babylon, because that empire of Babylon was now practicing the the religion of Zoroasterism, which is essentially Satanism, uh, or, or using sorcery and witchcraft and magic. And so at that point, Mystery Babylon rose in power, ruled the known world for 70 years. All the nations served Babylon for 70 years. And then it was destroyed in one night. The king and, and then the nation were gone in the morning under the rule of Cyrus and the conquest of the media Persian Empire. So, so here we that are takes in Revelation us to Jer- 17. We're told right. at the end of the age, there's going to be a woman riding the beast. Well, the beast is Satan. It's seven heads of the seven manifestations of Mystery Babylon, which will occur over the course of human history. And they are Egypt, Assyria, Mystery Babylon itself, Media, Persia, Greece, Rome is number six. And the seventh and final manifestation of Babylon is the one world government of the Antichrist. But is that what's pictured here in Revelation 17? Are we talking about the one world government of the Antichrist? No, we are not. Um, If you go to Revelation 17, verse 12, we're told that the ten horns which were revealed are ten kings who will receive, which have received no kingdom as yet, but they'll receive power as kings with the beast for one hour, for a brief window of time. And it said that... The ten horns hate the whore. They hate the woman riding the beast. So the woman revealed in Revelation 17 is not the final one-world government of the United Nations. It's another end-time superpower. But the ten kings that rule with the Antichrist, they hate this nation because at one time she was a Christian nation. Now she's a whore having prostituted herself turning from the living God to serve gods that are dead. 
And so the Ten Horns hate this nation-state. They will make her desolate and naked, and they shall eat her flesh. They robbed her blind. They stole trillions in the 2008 financial crisis, and they're stealing trillions more in the pandemic that they engineered on in the year 2020, which they unleashed on the world on March 22nd, the day of the Burning Man Festival, the third day of spring. And so they put everybody in their homes. And they're going to turn the heat up this summer. And it tells us that this woman riding the beast is the great city which reigns over the kings of the earth. Now, in ancient times, an empire was also a city-state. Rome was a city. It was also an empire. Babylon, a city, an empire. And so this great city which reigns over the kings of the earth at the end of human history, in other parts of Bible prophecy, we're told that it's pictured as an eagle which comes out of a lion, and the lion kingdom is England. And the eagle, which came forth out of England, are the American colonies. And we're told it was the hindermost nation in Revelation 50. The word means last and final superpower. It also translates in the West. So what is the great nation that is currently the ruling leader of the world that's pictured as an eagle? It rose in power in the West. It at one time was a godly nation, and today is an antichrist country. I wonder who they're talking about. <laughs> so America is Mystery Babylon. America is the daughter of Babylon. America is the woman riding the beast in Revelation chapter 17. All right, so let's go to uh, the book of Jeremiah, mm -hmm. uh, because that specifically kind of spells out the, the timing of this. And it, yes, it appears, yes. this particular chapter in Jeremiah appears to be talking about Cyrus's uh, invasion and conquering of Babylon. But as as we go further, it, it's really not talking about uh, Babylon. So uh, at, at that time, uh, just just walk us through the the chapter in, in Jeremiah that addresses this. You're talking about chapter 25? Yes. Yes. Um, in Jeremiah prophesied many things regarding Babylon, but he also prophesied regarding the daughter of Babylon at the end of the age, and those prophecies are contained in Jeremiah 15:51. And the daughter of Babylon, which is the United States of America, the end-time superpower before the rise of the Antichrist kingdom, the judgments that would come upon that nation are severe. The land would be utterly desolated, and the people would literally... The cities would literally burn with fire. And so, in addition to the revelation of judgment upon Babylon and judgment upon end-time Babylon, Jeremiah also revealed that the judgment that would come upon these two manifestations of Babylon, the actual Babylon of Nebuchadnezzar in circa 600 B.C., and then end-time Babylon, or the daughter of Babylon, which would rise in power at the end of the age, in Jeremiah prophesied that these superpowers would rule the earth for 70 years and then be suddenly judged. And in Jer the, the key verse is Jeremiah 25, verse 12. I'll read it. It shall come to pass when 70 years are accomplished or fulfilled, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation. That happened literally when the media Persian army crept in under the cover of darkness and they were quiet as a church mouse 
They occupied the city in the, in the darkness of night. They killed the royal family and much of the political leadership. And when the people woke up in the morning, it was over. The media Persian army was everywhere. And the people were told, you're now a province of media Persia. Cyrus is your new king. But don't be upset. He's guaranteeing your property and your prosperity. There's not going to be any lockdown. Go back to work. Open your shops. Go do your business. The only thing that is going to change is the address where you mail your income tax return. <laughs> and the people of Babylon right. went, great. And uh, they didn't skip a beat. But in the second half of Jeremiah 25, verse 12, the scripture declares, after it reveals that God's going to punish the king of Babylon, which was Belshazzar in the time of Daniel, and that nation, ancient Babylon, saith the Lord, for their iniquity, the scripture goes on and says, and the land of the Chaldeans, and I will make it a perpetual desolation. And from that point forward, Richard, everything in the second half of the book of Jeremiah is the opposite of what happened in the judgment of ancient Babylon. First, many kings, many nations, and great kings will come against this end-time Babylon. Ancient Babylon was only attacked by Media Persia, and there was only one king. His name was Cyrus. But end-time Babylon, which is described as the land of the Chaldeans, will be attacked by many kings. They will take some of the citizens of end-time Babylon, the daughter of Babylon, into slavery. Some of these people are going into slavery. And then the scripture goes on, and it basically outlines the judgment at the end of the age. The the prophet declares that God is going to bring every word. I will bring upon that land, the land of the Chaldeans, all the words which I've pronounced against it, even all that is written in this book which Jeremiah has prophesied against all the nations. So God is literally saying, I'm going to throw the book at that country. And that includes the cities burning like Sodom and Gomorrah. And ancient Babylon, nothing burned. There was no great sound of destruction. The land wasn't desolated, but the end-time daughter of Babylon, which is the United States of America, which is described as the land of the Chaldeans, because our nation as well has come under the rule of a deep state. we got a shadow government, Richard, and it's right. satanic. So in other words, in, in Jeremiah chapter 25, we yeah. know that it is not describing a, a contemporary event at the time, because the, the prophecy said that the Chaldeans, they would be, you know, it would be desolation. And as you say, Cyrus came in and he left the country pretty much undisturbed. He chopped off the head of the snake and then just let people go about their business. Exactly. So he couldn't have been talking about Syria or sorry, Cyrus and, and Babylon and the Chaldeans who were part of Babylon. Uh, he had to be talking about some future event. And Bible prophecy always repeats itself. The scripture declares that every word of truth will be confirmed by two or more witnesses. And that is the rule of the word of God. And God subjects his own prophetic word to his own test of, authentic, of authentication. And so every prophecy that God has revealed through scripture is always fulfilled twice. It is witnessed twice in the earth, and thus, though two witnesses confirmed that it was a true word. And so, the 70-year reign of Babylon, 
ancient Babylon ruled for 70 years, and then bang, it was gone one night. It's over, people. And if you go and, you know, we could look at Jeremiah 15, 51. It is absolutely astonishing. It, it talks about a sound of great destruction, an invasion by many kings and great nations. It talks about their arrows being expert. It talks about the whole world being shaken by the fall of end time, the end time superpower America. And none of this is in any way been fulfilled in the fall of ancient Babylon. So, you know, the only real question, having uncovered this revelation from Bible prophecy, and this is authenticated, it's absolutely clear. If you read Jeremiah 25 very carefully, it's obvious that the second half of the chapter is dealing with the events at the end of the age. And the segue is the judgment on a nation which would be known as the land of the Chaldeans. Now, throughout Jeremiah 1551, the reference to America which, by the way, only a nation of immigrants could fulfill Jeremiah 1551, because it talks about the people going back to their own land. And if France was end-time Babylon, and France was destroyed in a sudden destruction, and so the French were going to flee and, and return to their own land, how would they free, flee France, and where would they, where would they go? Right, you know, right. How could they go back to their own land if it's been utterly destroyed? So only a nation of immigrants at the end of the age, could fulfill the prophecies of Jeremiah 15:51, And, you know, we could spend hours going, parsing each one of those scriptures. I've done a YouTube program, the 70th year of Babylon, and also America, the daughter of Babylon, if people really want to get into it. Or, the, this is a major part of the book that I published, The Day of the Lord is at Hand. But, in any event, the, the whole question, once you are authenticate this revelation from Scripture, and this is absolutely unequivocal. You know, this, you can debate it, but, you know, you might as well be debating some other, you know, fantasy teaching, of which Richard right. Bazaar, there's a lot of them gaining, gaining traction today. It's almost as if humanity is losing their cognitive reasoning skills. Next, people are going to be believing in the tooth fairy, as far as I can tell, but going back <laughs> to reality... Hold that, Benjamin. I got to take a, a a quick timeout. That's my reality. We got to do some uh, sure. business here. We'll come back, and uh, we will talk about the the seventy years, uh, which is laid out, uh, and and when do we start that that clock? That's key to understanding all of this. Benjamin Brooke, my guest, will continue to talk about Mystery Babylon, the daughter of Babylon, the Chaldeans, and how COVID nineteen fits into all of this. That's all upcoming right here on the Conspiracy Show. Don't don't go away. The world is being pulled over your eyes. This is The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. To reach Richard, call 416-360-0740 or toll free at 1-866-740-4740. Welcome back. Benjamin Baruch, my guest, and his website, which I've linked up to at strangeplanet.ca. Just click on Benjamin's name, but it's benjaminbaruch.net. Benjamin, B-E-N-J-A. M-I-N, Baruch, B-A-R-U-C-H, Benjamin Baruch.net, and we're talking about uh, Mystery Babylon. So it's interesting, like, prophecy is like clockwork. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was, uh, it was, you know, he was given, uh, Babylon was given 70 years until its judgment, and um, I guess right about the time that Nebuchadnezzar uh, arose to uh, king, it was pretty precise, right? Seventy years, in comes Cyrus, and that's done. 
uh, it would have been Nebuchadnezzar's uh, replacement, I guess. Nebuchadnezzar right. II, was it? His son. So with America Babylon, when do we start the, the clock to judgment? Well, that's the million-dollar question. And uh, I did some extensive research into the history of the post-World War II era. You know, scholars are, for the most part, in agreement that following World War II, what began was known as the American century. Prior to World War II, the United States was an isolationist power. Similar to ancient Babylon, prior to its uh, dominance by the Chaldean deep state. Same thing happened in our country. We were primarily isolationist in the first 150 years of our history. But once the deep state acquired political power, and that incursion occurred really over the last 100 years, they gradually infiltrated. You know, Diana West wrote a book, American Betrayal, looking in detail into how, during the Roosevelt administration, massive encroachment by communist and by deep state powers occurred inside our, our government in Washington, D.C. And, you know, the same thing only got worse after, after World War II. And so during that window in 1947, we had the U.N. in 1948, the, the deep state, the Chaldean powers, if you will, began to create the institutions through which they would ultimately create a world government. And so in 1948, they created the General Agreement on Trade, or tariffs, known as the GATT. NATO was, was formed. The signature for the NATO treaty occurred in 1949, in April. The World Health Organization was created. Isn't that a wonderful organization? that is now essentially engaged in medical tyranny, the Organization of American States, the Marshall Plan, the World Council of Churches, all of this was created in 1948. And, you know, it's absolutely fascinating. In 1949, we witnessed the signing of the NATO Treaty on April 4th in Washington, D.C. All the leaders of the free world came to witness the crowning of America as now the legitimate leader of the free world. In that same year, the Council of Europe was formed in August, the purpose of which was to develop a framework to unite Europe. On the same day, the Soviet Union tested its first atomic bomb. The Federal Republic of Germany was founded in May, while in September, America's first mass shooting occurred. On October 1st, Mao Zedong declared the creation of the People's Republic of China after a four-year civil war. And in December, the Knesset voted to move the capital of Israel to Jerusalem. Suddenly, all of the end-time actors presented together on the world stage in 1949. And America literally raised up as the, as the sole leader of the free world. The rider on the white horse of the Book of Revelation went forth with his crown, the legal representative of democracy and freedom, wearing white, a force for good, to conquer the world for the Antichrist which is ultimately what the agenda was. Now, if you go back and study the history of the Chaldean state, the Chaldean monarchs did not count the, year of their, the years of their reign by including the year of their ascendancy to the throne. They, the first year of their rule, which was a partial year, 
was called the year of ascendancy. They only counted complete years of their rule, and their calendar began in spring with, you know, the, the equinox, normally March 2021, 20, and the first three days of the, of the spring window were the Burning Man Festival, and I'm not talking about the drunken fest in the Mojave Desert in the summer, I'm talking about the satanic ritual where they literally burn human sacrifices to secure the, the successful outcome of whatever endeavor they, they plan to create in the following summer and fall. And so 1950 would then become the first year. Of right, the because 49, 49 to 50 is the year of ascension. In other words, when the United States really... Year of ascension. That's correct, until spring of 50. That's correct. Right. So 1950 then, the prophecy clock towards judgment begins. That's correct. And what were... You know, if you, if you think back to, to America in 1950... 1950 is a fascinating year. We had um, America suddenly was confronted with a hot war in Korea. China, the, the new Chinese Communist Empire, along with their ally North Korea, invaded South Korea, and we, we had a hot war erupt in Korea. Suddenly the Russians detonated a hydrogen bomb, and we had a cold war with Russia. The U.S. defense establishment issued a report basically... Uh, ad- advocating that America begin radical deficit spending in order to finance the Cold War, to prosecute the Cold War with Russia and the hot war in Korea. At the same time, James Dean was discovered, the icon of 1950s culture, and a new preacher was brought forward to the American people. And he ran around the country with his tent meetings, basically telling the American people that the war between communism and the United States was a battle between the forces of the Antichrist and the forces of Christianity, and that the American people should support the Cold War and the, and the large deficit spending. At the same time, the first credit card was introduced to begin the conditioning of the American people to, to using debt for their, for their lifestyle. So 1950 would be the first year of, of the reign, and, and it... It wasn't but three years, and the deep state installed the Warren Court, and the U.S. Supreme Court assumed dictatorial power over the institutions of our Congress and the president and began to reinterpret the Constitution, taking the country to a radical left turn and, and ultimately to the insanity that is now the culture and, and the political landscape of the United States of America. And... So if 1950 was the first year of their reign, then 1963 would be the 13th year. That was the year in which they assassinated an American president in public view and covered up the crime, and nobody was... The truth never came out. All of the the investigations were sealed. Why are the numbers uh, so important with the, well, the Chaldeans, the occultists, the deep state? Why do they like to play around with numbers? Well, they have to use either numerology, or which is the symbolism of numbers, or onomatology, which is the symbolism and the secret meaning of names, in order to think of it as, as keys to unlock a doorway or a passageway between the power that they're trying to release as above to manifest so below. So these are the ways they unlock the, the power of their witchcraft.
through this. We're, we're heading into a we're heading into a break here, but very quickly. So, it, it was all about the number thirteen. So somebody had to be assassinated in 1963. It had less to do with Kennedy, you know, wanting to maybe pull out troops from South Vietnam and more to do with the year. So it could have had Nixon won, it would have been Nixon assassinated. Is that the idea? I would agree with that. I think that's true. All right. We'll uh, come back. More of my conversation with Benjamin Brooke as we talk about America Babylon right here on The Conspiracy Show. Stay with us. Where there's smoke, there's The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio. Welcome back. Benjamin Baruch stays with us, BenjaminBaruch.net. And uh, the day of the Lord is at hand. I believe that is now in its seventh edition. Is that right, Benjamin? Yeah, that's correct. And uh, I should also point people towards um, a website, prophecyinvestigators.org. And uh, much of what uh, Benjamin is uh, discussing right now can be found in uh, an article he posted there, prophecyinvestigators.org. It's called The Last Days of Babylon, and uh, he lays it out very uh, succinctly in this uh, this article. So we were talking about the year 1963. The president uh, is assassinated. Uh, these numbers are important. Something else significant happens in 63, as you point out. They removed prayer from public schools. That's right. All right, so we go to um, another uh, sort of important historical marker, and that is the year 1969. Uh, we have sort of the uh, the height of the hippie movement. We have the the Tate Lobianca murders with the, the Manson family. Yep. How does that fit in with all of this? What is the significance of 19, the number 1969? Well, 1969 was the 19th year of the reign of the Chaldean deep state. And the number 19 uh, carries the power of the number 1, but it also is multiplied by the number 9, which represents iniquity. 6 is the number of man. Man turned upside down is iniquity. And so this is the uh, inversion of normal values, with the number 69 representing the complete perversion. And so 1969 represented the completion of the task of corrupting America, fatally damaging the Christian foundation of our nation through the rebellion of the 60s. It also marked the beginning of the destruction of the family as the shadow government normalized divorce, and then through the inflation of the 70s forced most of the mothers into the workforce, requiring the children to now be taught and raised by the deep state. And so the year 2019 represents the 69th year of the rule of the Chaldeans, and as they've now completed their division of our once United States into two soon-to-be-warring camps. You know, in simple terms, the year 2019 is the 69th year of their rule. Um, they have completed the task of destroying Christian America, and its end will inaugurate the dawn of the New World Order. You know, we are now a divided nation, and you know they have successfully turned our heritage into a lot of people, the majority of the American population today, views the Christian heritage of this country as a form of racism or white supremacy, which is yes, yes, totally absurd. But, but nevertheless, well, what is the, so they have literally brainwashed a generation. What is the, uh, the, 
the biblical passage, uh, what is good will be viewed as evil and what is evil will be view, viewed as good. That's correct. Exactly. So, so 2019 is also kind of a year of completion. Last year, how so? Well, it represents the, the culmination of their task of, of preparing America for essentially its ruination. You know, the country's completely divided. Uh, our, our Christian values are gone. Our family units are, are under assault. Uh, all levels of morality and decency uh, have been abandoned by this culture. And so the year 2020, beginning in March, ushered in the beginning of the 70th year of their reign, and they did the lockdown for the coronavirus in the first three days of spring. They locked down the world, Richard. So when when President Trump was elected, many people had high hopes that he was going to. This is, you know, the the first time that the the term deep state became part of the popular lexicon. You never heard about that before. Trump comes. He starts talking about battling the deep state. Um, many people thought, myself included, uh, that he was going to at least, if nothing else, buy America some time from final judgment, that he was going to push back against the, the, the deep state. What happened? Well, <laughs> that is a, a question so profound that it would require a whole separate program to really elaborate the answer. But uh, what happened is the deep state, which is like an entrenched, it's almost like a government that's under the surface of, of the visible government, it, it never moved out of the way. You elected one man who gave a lot of good speeches, who tried to do some, you know, took some constructive steps, but the deep state's stranglehold on the institutions of power in this country haven't changed. So can one man stop a tsunami? And candidly... Um, had he been able to stop the tsunami, I think the deep state would have either uh, sent him a message that, you know, you either bend to our witch- wishes or bend to the witches, if you will, or <laughs> will JFK you. And, and or, you know, found some other leverage where he was coerced into at least cooperating to some degree, knowingly or unknowingly. I mean, you know, this conspiracy is, is, well, as President Kennedy said, in a public, a televised broadcast to the entire nation, President Kennedy said, we are confronted by a monolithic and ruthless conspiracy. And monolithic means it's literally as big as a mountain range. It's invisible. It now rules practically the whole world. So what happened, um, you know... There's a thousand different answers. One thing's very clear. President Trump has not been able to stop the progression towards the end of America and the rise of a one-world government. That is in our immediate future. So uh, we're heading into a break here in a couple minutes, I think about three minutes. Um, Let's start to begin to discuss how COVID-19 fits into this, and then we'll resume after the break. Uh, so is, is COVID-19 part of the judgment, or is it the Chaldeans 
using this for their own their own purposes. It's both. The Chaldeans are part of the judgment. Having rejected God's truth, will now be ruled by Satan's ministers. And yes, COVID nineteen is the beginning of the judgment. In the book of Habakkuk, we're told the pestilence goes before his face. So the very first thing that happens in the day of the Lord is there's a pandemic. And indeed, we've got one. Right, right. Except it has been suggested, based on some intelligence, that the virus was created in a level four lab in China. And it either escaped or it was deliberately... Uh, released. It conveniently escaped at exactly the right time to accomplish the maximum impact desired by the Communist Party. It was just one of those fortuitous accidents that happened mm-hmm. perfectly, if you want right. to believe in accidents. Events so, of this magnitude don't occur accidentally. This was done intentionally, obviously. And you so know what, Richard? If, Our own government yes. knows this. We're not going to admit it publicly. Our military is well aware and we are actually preparing for war with China. All right. We will pick up on that point when we come back. Benjamin Baruch, my guest. The Day of the Lord is at Hand is the book. It will also tell you how to get yourself a copy of that and uh, his new seven-volume series. Search the scriptures. That all awaits. On the other side, my name is Richard Serrett. This is The Conspiracy Show. We'll also open up the phone lines for questions and comments. 416 360 0740 in the greater Toronto area 416-360-0740 and toll free from just about anywhere 1-866-740-4740 Big Brother is listening and so are you to The Conspiracy Show with Richard Serrett from Zoomer Radio to speak with Richard call 416-360-0740 or toll-free, 1-866-740-4740. Benjamin, before we get rolling here with the last segment, how do people get a copy of The Day of the Lord is at Hand and the four volumes of your seven-volume series, Search the Scriptures? Probably the easiest way is to go to Amazon.com. And in ordering The Day of the Lord is at Hand, be sure to get the 2019 printing, because I've, the reason there's seven editions is I continued to update the book from its first publication, which was in 1998, for events that have been occurring in the real world, and there's a lot that's gone on in the last 22 years since the first edition of this book was published. And uh, I have that right, it's volume, you're up to volume four on the seven-volume series, Search the Scriptures? That's correct, yeah. The first one is called Out of the Darkness. You Shall Know the Truth is Volume 2, The Remnant Shall Return is Volume 3, and I Am the Door is Volume 4. And hopefully the other three will come out in the next short order. That's my plan. Uh, So you're saying that uh, war with China uh, and the United States is inevitable. Explain. Yes. Yes, it's inevitable. Russia and China have been preparing for war against us for over 50 years. And and this uh, coronavirus was unleashed just to kind of 
uh, what, soften soften America up a little bit? Uh, yes, damage the economy, reduce our uh, military readiness. We have three carrier battle groups in sick bay right now. Chinese generals uh, several years ago in public speeches uh, disclosed that China's military strategy for war with the United States contemplated initiating the conflict covertly with the release of bioweapons. I mean, on how perfect for the first bioweapon to be essentially a re-engineered version of the flu that is just more contagious. It's not more deadly, it's just more contagious. And, and then China released it in their own cities. When you consider their one-child policy, for every soldier in the Chinese army, he has two parents and four grandparents, likely age 60 or higher. And because of the pollution in China, the majority of the population, 40 years or older, are dealing with severe health issues, severe lung issues because of the intense air pollution. And so the coronavirus, the re-engineered virus, is only really lethal for people that have comorbidity issues such as lung problems. And given that China's uh, agricultural economy is actually beginning to falter as a result of environmental degradation within that country, um, they don't have the ability to continue to feed that group of people. And if you were going to get rid of some of your slave population, which age group would you choose? The largest being the... the the grandparents are the over 60 um, generation, and then that's the one that the COVID virus is most lethal for. So what a coincidence. I always thought it, right, and it's also very strange how the virus did not spread within China to places like Beijing. Well, you know, I think if you look at the, the details, and there's a lot of disinformation out there regarding this virus, and some people don't even think there is such a thing as a virus. People think it's you know, whatever, but within our own military, our top scientists have concluded it is a re-engineered version of the flu. It is a bioweapon that was developed in Wuhan, China. And based on all of the details surrounding its release, it is quite apparent it was intentional. And the, what will confirm that fact for us, Richard, is when they release COVID 2.0 some point this summer. That one will be the dangerous one. This is just the flu. And for an average healthy person, I mean, nobody wants to get the flu, but, but you can recover from the flu. And, and there are medical therapies that will uh, speed the recovery of somebody dealing with uh, the COVID-19 infection. But they're not Michael is on public. They want to push a vaccine. Uh, Michael is joining us from Newmarket. Michael, welcome to The Conspiracy Show. Good morning. Well, good morning, Richard, and good morning, Benjamin. I think I'm going slightly off topic, but uh, a lot of the early religious reformers talked about the rise of Babylon, people of Rome, you know, the church and all that. Is the Roman Empire in any way going to, you know, revive as well as... Uh, you know, the Chaldeans. Well, Rome was part of Mystery Babylon. It was the legs of iron, and it was during the reign of Rome that the false religion of Mystery Babylon separated from its satanic government with the rise of the uh, unholy church that came out of that ruined empire. And, and today, you know, so in, in many 
sense is the the Roman Church is part of Mystery Babylon, and and um, you know it's likely that the leader of that church will be the false oh, prophet. Oh, really? Revelation. Well, I, was, I guess I was surprised to hear you actually say that that the church is involved in some way. Oh, I think it's clearly involved. I mean, now there are lots of people that belong to that church who uh, don't understand the nefarious. Uh, history or the nefarious future that that the ruling elite um, are going to be engaged in. You know, there were a lot of decent people in Germany in 1939 who did had no idea, uh, you know, what the Nazis had planned and, and would have no way supported the evil. And, and the same is true for for all of the you know institutions of power in this world. The majority of humanity is completely unaware satanic character of what's happening right before their eyes. Because Michael, thank you for that. Good question. Yeah, these organizations all lie. They're shrouding in lies. So the uh, the timing then, uh, because we are in the 70th year, right. uh, as the, pr- the prophecy um, lays out, so do we have it right down to the month then? Well, the the final end for America Babylon is is the events of Ezekiel 38 in which Israel and, and also the United States will be attacked in what will be described as World War III and the scripture is very clear that that war will take place in the time of the harvest which would probably put us into the month of October I suppose November could also be considered a late harvest month but, but really October is the harvest month and you know it's is 1950 the first year of the Chaldean reign? Well, this I've been publishing and talking about this for maybe two to three years at this point, Richard. And uh, and I was pounding the table last year that we're we're going to see the world change in 2020, and some huge event is going to take place on March 22nd. Well, some of my close friends right around that day called me up and they said, you know, you're looking pretty good on the 70 years of Babylon, and your March 22nd date was kind of spot on. Well, mm, I got that I'll from say. the Satanic Festival of that day. Got to leave us with some good news, though, Benjamin. Wrong. You got to leave us with some good news, because this is pretty dire. Uh, the good news is that there's a God in heaven who is still ruling the universe and the events of human history, and there's a remnant that's going to be saved, and if people want to find eternal life, they should get their Bible out, they should begin to pray, they should call on the name of Jesus, because whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord in this time, with all of their heart, will be saved. And, and there's actually a really, there's a great future available and waiting for the people who are um, the blessed of the Lord. For the wicked, um, they're in trouble, and uh, their best days are behind them. It's only going to get worse from here. So really, uh, people ought to take a, take a moment to really reflect, because you don't want to go into eternity without salvation. So America will survive? Will it thrive on the other side? America will survive in, in the sense that the nation is not going to be ultimately um, completely eradicated, but the, the land will be so desolated, the scripture indicates that the survivors will leave the country, and the land will be utterly uninhabited following the exodus out of here. Benjamin, 
uh, an amazing, uh, amazing hour. Thank you so much. And again, let me direct people if they want to read uh, what you've dis- just discussed. They could go to prophecyinvestigators.org and there they will find your article, The Last Days of Babylon, and of course the website benjaminbaruch.net. And uh, they can order the seventh edition, the 2019 edition of The Day of the Lord is at Hand. And uh, also the uh, the four volumes of Search the Scriptures, those are available at Amazon. Thank you so much, Benjamin. I appreciate your time. You're welcome. Great to be here. All right. Back next week with a brand new show. In the meantime, don't be afraid. There is nothing concealed that won't be revealed and nothing hidden that won't be made known. What you hear in the dark, speak in the light. What I say in a whisper, proclaim from the housetops, move over Aphrodite, I'm coming home, or at least up the stairs. Thank you, Ryan. Thank you, Carlos. Good night. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.